Welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I am your host, and today on the show, we have got a special treat for you. We've got um, a previously unreleased clip from Dr. Karen Purvis, so some new content from Dr. Karen Purvis about how to not over-respond to our kids. We talk about the danger of over-responding in this clip, and so I wanted to bring um, Becca McKay and Jesse Ferris on with us to talk today about um, kind of a deeper dive into this topic today. What are the dangers of over-responding, and how can we avoid that um, taking Dr. Purvis's advice? And so uh, without any further ado, we're going to welcome... uh, Jesse and Becca on now to talk about how to not over-respond with new content from Dr. Purvis. All right, well, we are here today with Jesse Ferris and Becca McKay, and we're going to talk. Um, we've got the the privilege of being able to share with you who are listening to this um, a previously completely unreleased clip of Dr. Karen Purvis uh, teaching. And so this um, this footage has been something that we have gotten here at ETC, and we've been going through it internally as a team and just kind of trying to figure out you know what, what are the best avenues for us to unpack this and. Um, it has been for us really sweet to go through this footage and just to look and um, and see and, and to hear how Karen was teaching. Um, and it's just, there's such awesome stuff. We couldn't keep it under wraps for long. So we wanted to share it with you today. And so Jesse and Becca, um, would you guys just kind of uh, set up kind of what we're going to talk about today in the clip here from Karen? Yeah. Uh, like JD said, as a team, it's just been super, super sweet to be able to walk, watch Dr. Purvis really bring her wisdom right back to us. And she just has a way with words of explaining things. And so in this clip that we're about to listen to, she really comes head on with what about this whole, like, you better nip it in the bud. You know, it's kind of that concept. Like you better, you better get a handle on this behavior big on the front end so that it stops happening on the back end. And so she really, in a couple of minutes, just really kind of gives a lot of wisdom for that topic and some really good insights. And so we're excited to listen together to her words and then kind of talk as a team about how have we seen this in our own lives and our own work, um, just some tips and tricks for how to implement some of this stuff. So really, really grateful for just her wisdom, her leadership. And it's just been amazing to be able to see some of these little unreleased clips. For sure. Uh, all right, well, let's listen to Karen now and then we'll, we'll talk through it. For some parents, a common mistake that has been taught in our society quite widely is if my child does a small infraction, if I come with a heavy hand, I will make certain that doesn't happen again. In reality, for our child who has a different brain development and brain chemistry. If they respond or if they react at a small level of infraction and I come with a heavy hand, I am far more likely to drive that child into fight, flight, or freeze behaviors. Those are not pretty for anybody. I have lost count of how many children I have seen driven into aggressive, even psychotic behaviors, even psychotic breakdowns that required psychiatric hospitalizations by a parent who over-responded. Think of it this way. When your child's behavior is not what you're hoping it would be, their behavior is telling you something they need, how do you show them they can get their needs met in appropriate ways? This is not about 
punishing. This is about teaching. This is not about disciplining. This is about giving support so that this child's brain and belief systems can begin to find strategies for life. Good grief. Um, guys, I mean, I feel like we could probably just end the podcast right there and, and just not even talk anymore and just let let KP's voice just <laughs> resonate. Um, all right, let's let's begin to talk through that. And I, I, I don't know if we're going to share the video or not from this. If we do, you'll see me kind of throw my head back a few minutes ago in the, in the middle of her talking because this, this hits right square at home uh, for me. Um, and so anyways, I, I, this is just, my mind is reeling from, from hearing this again uh, right now. But why don't we start to talk through this principle, which I know is, is countercultural to be teaching this, right? Yeah, it is. And I think a lot of times, um, I mean, we're all guilty of overcorrecting, right? I, th I think a lot of times it's exactly what Dr. Purvis says. We think that we're going to get ahead of a behavior by coming in heavy handed, but um, it, it ends up becoming a much bigger deal in uh, that short term than we're expecting because it flips our kid into a different a frame of mind right. in which they're feeling threatened, in which they're feeling unsafe and afraid, and it's causing some different types of behaviors on top of what was already happening. So we were thinking um, about some common reasons why we might even overreact. You know, what what causes that in the first place in us? And I think um, one of the common ways that we can tend to overcorrect is just coming in with a huge punishment or a consequence for something really minor. Um, it's, it's kind of this idea that we're killing a mosquito with an elephant gun. And Dr. Purvis, that's another thing that she used to say was don't kill a mosquito with an elephant gun. Um, this idea of like, if it is something minor, say a kid said something sassy or a little disrespectful back to you, does it really need to come with like a loud voice or a huge consequence or something like that? Or could you interact with it in, in a more playful way? Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the first ways that we tend to do that. Yeah. And you mentioned the why, and I think we do it, you know, sometimes because we're just annoyed sometimes because it's just like, every day you're really going to roll your eyes when I ask you to put on your backpack every day. And so like the first 10 times, 15 times, hundred times, we're like keeping our cool. Yeah. And then like the hundred and first time we're like, hey, I don't, like we just go there. So sometimes it's because we're annoyed. Other times it's because we're afraid, like, because the behaviors that we see, we know they're not okay and they're mm -hmm. not acceptable. Yeah. And so we're trying so hard to communicate high expectations and good boundaries, Right. but we just do it in a way that's a very, um, punishment minded that's very big and loud and we're kind of wanting to scare them straight a little bit and just the more that we learn about how kids develop how people learn we can see that that's not the best way forward right but another way that you know i've experienced this oh i'm gonna like put myself on the hot seat a little bit i know nobody listening out here has done this except me jk um but have you ever looked at a kid who's slamming a door and said slam it again Oh yeah. yeah. Or they've like yeah. 
you know, they're pushing their brother and you're like, push him one more time and see what happens. So there's also the, you know, the ways that this comes out, one that's real common is that challenge. You know, we want to flex and we want to show, you know, something that's great about the way that, that human relationships work is this whole idea of like appropriate authority. So we take that great idea, this great, important foundational thing of appropriate authority And then we use it in just a not so great way. So we're using our authority to try to buck and flex and challenge them. Well, the problem is like nine times out of 10, they're going to slam that door again in my my face. And then what am I going to do about it? stare you down while they do it. Yeah. Yes. And I've just escalated it right on up. Yes. And I mean, I also want to point out a lot of kids don't understand that type of sarcasm. I mean, it is a little bit of sarcasm. And um, so, I mean, we did just tell them to slam it again. (laughs) um, But I also think just that stress response, I, I can remember like, you know, this could have been done lovingly, but it was not. It was the tone and attitude in which it was done, holding a kiddo's hands and getting down in their eye level and saying, you are not in charge. And the kid, before I even knew what happened, reached up and slapped me in the face. Yeah. Like, I I think we don't realize what flexing our authority toward a kid who's already you know, melting down or their lid, lids getting flipped. I don't think we realize what's, what's, what that might end up yeah. doing in escalating the situation. Well, I think there's two things with that, right? Like, so one is, uh, sometimes we might think, I mean, and what, you know, Becca, you and I, I think we're together times where I did this to kids in after school programs. Like, I bet you won't was my phrase back then. Like, I bet you won't run away again and do it and see what happens. I'll call your mom right now. Like, and I had zero authority to do anything. It's not like I can suspend him from school. It's not like in that moment I could, you know, what, what was I going to do? Like what, you know, and luckily kids didn't test that super often with me, but I had one, and you know who I'm talking about. I had one of my, my favorite kids in those programs that did. I mean, tested tested me constantly with that. And so uh, one of the things that I, that I think that if I can think about it in a, moment where I'm not, uh, flipping my lid myself. It's not just the words you're saying. It's not just these these challenging behaviors, but sometimes we say the right things through challenging body language and tone of voice. And and again, you're, if we're all telling ourselves here, like I'll tell myself, like, I, I mean, I am famous in my house for saying the right thing, like the, the AGC appropriate thing while whipping my body around and glaring straight at a kid with my eyes super wide. If there's something that I feel like they said or did that was out of line and the immediate reaction usually shows me what I was communicating, which is like, what, 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 that that would be the kid reaction is like, what, what I do? Or like, well, like, and they go into defense mode and then we are in the territory where nothing is going to get accomplished. And I think that's the thing to to remember with this. So if you're hearing, like if somebody sent this podcast to you, you're listening to it and you're like, this is garbage. You have authority. You have to use it as a parent or kids are going to run all over you. Yes. In the proper context, I would agree with that. But secondarily, strong arming a kid into submission where they are too scared to misbehave in front of you may work for a brief period of time when they're under your care, but you set them up for failure to live as an independent 
person one day or to be able to be in settings where authority might not should be universally trusted, um, which is a whole separate conversation. So I think there's a lot that goes into the principle behind this, but one of the main things besides the compassionate side, which is huge, is effectiveness. Like we want to be effective in helping corral behavior that's not right. We want that for the kid. We want that for ourselves, for our own relief. And when we want them to be equipped with strategies that actually work to help them navigate and negotiate their own uh, needs and and navigate their way to meeting their own needs um, independently. Something that really struck me when I listened to this clip the first time was it just like hit me whenever she said we can drive our kids to psychotic behaviors, even behaviors requiring psychiatric care. Um, And, oh, I like had a moment of reckoning. I worked in schools for six years. And so I saw kids have to go into psychiatric care probably a a dozen or more times over Mm -hmm. the course of those six years. And there are times when no matter what's happening, kids are going to need psychiatric care for sure. That is, uh, I'm thankful for great psychologists, psychiatrists, people that are jumping into that role. But I can think back to some specific moments where the behavior of myself or the other adults involved, the teachers, whoever was, was in that moment really pushed a kid to that point. And I just have to, like, it really hit me whenever she said that, because I think the temptation when a kid gets to that point is as humans, we need meaning. We need something to make sense. So we either are going to go to, well, that's the kid's fault that they were acting that way, or we're going to absolve everybody of any, of any responsibility. And we're going to say, well, that's just a mental health thing that's out of my hands. And I think what Dr. Purvis is like bringing to light is yes, those things are true. Like kids do make choices. There are mental health considerations, but our behavior as adults can push that kid to that point. And we've got to be aware of that. And that frames how we proactively and responsibly engage with the people in our care. And I just, that part really, I know I was mentioning it to Jesse before we hit record. It just really, really struck me because it's, it's a heartbreaking thing to watch a kid who's five, who's eight, who's 10, um, spend a birthday in a inpatient hospital for behavioral health and think back. And yes, it was a combination of all the things, but did I, did the other people on my team, did the other adults in the building, did we push them too far because of our fear of, of their, their little behavior, their little frustrating behavior? It is the, like what you're saying, Becca, is the undergirding for why we organizationally believe that every child needs a safe adult in every uh, arena of their life, right? So in a perfect world, um, well, in a perfect world, two safe two safe adults at home, safe teachers, safe administrators, safe coaches, safe te- But it, at the very least, what we need to start thinking through is having the heart to do this work, having, having the... Um, good intentions to do this work is not enough. It's, it's not like, and what, what Karen said in that, in the clip and what you just brought up, Becca, like you and I have both seen, we, we've, we have been in moments where a battle was engaged in, where the adult was not aware of the in, immense consequences to their own behavior of challenging a kid who is already in a stress response. And if you catch the right combination of stress responses an adult and kid in the right day, you can end up in a place having to be sedated in a psychiatric hospital 
in a way that probably was preventable, right? Um, and so what we are I not what we're not saying, <laughs> Jesse, my disclaimer before we go, is that uh, we are not saying that every situation is an adult's fault where they pushed a kid too far. We're not saying that every situation is uh, never uh, an adult's fault because the kids are, but we are saying that is sometimes a factor. And so the need for adults is for us to be hyper aware of our own selves, of our needs, of our kids and their needs. And especially when we've got kids who are in our care, um, you know, in a professional setting, something like that, being very, very intentional from the time we start there to be building as much of a relationship as we can. So you're aware of triggers, you're aware of background, you're aware of context information. Um, so yeah, Jesse. I was just going to say, I think part of being a safe adult is recognizing that we just have to, we have to be bigger, stronger, kinder. We have to be the adult in that interaction. And it doesn't matter how the kid is presenting to us. It doesn't matter how, what, what they're bringing in their behavior. We have to be the kinder one. We have to be the wiser one. Right. And so, um, I think that's one of the things that's so hard about being a caregiver or an educator or anyone that's working with people. Um, but especially children is just this idea that, uh, something may push your own buttons, you know, it, it may be, I know for me, it's uh, selfishness is a huge one for me. If I see my kids starting to say something sassy and it sounds really disrespectful, but primarily it sounds selfish, like they don't care about me or other people. I just hate the way that I'm like, I am not raising that kind of kid. We do not value that in this house. You know, it touches on all those little trigger points for me and, um, I have to remind myself, you know, we've talked about this in other episodes. I've got to calm myself down. Right. And, um, it's my responsibility to respond in a way that does no harm to that child. Mm -hmm. And I, I think when we think back on, you know, Becca, you and JD are reminiscing on, on school stuff. And I'm, I'm thinking about a season, a really tough season that we went through in my family with a kiddo. Um, in which there were multiple meltdowns every day. Mm-hmm. And now years later, when I look back on that season, I think about what was my part in that? Yeah. What, yeah. I mean, the same questions you guys are asking mm-hmm. and um, you know, we're all doing the best we can mm-hmm. in the moment. Right. Yeah. So it's like, it, there's a difference between beating yourself up and looking back and readjusting, right. That's what yeah. we would call it. Mm-hmm. And looking back and being like, okay, you know what? When I flexed my authority at that kid, when they were starting to melt down, I can see how now in hindsight, that probably escalated things and made them spiral a little bit more than they had to. Yeah. And I think it's different with every kid. We talk about this in a lot of episodes mm-hmm. too, but I mean, knowing knowing what will pull your kid off the edge, so to speak, of, of that meltdown. Yeah really valuable. And it takes a lot of trial and error. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, you know, sometimes it might be talking calmly. Sometimes it might be getting your kid's body moving. Sometimes it might be um, validating what they just said by repeating what they just said in the same intensity. Um, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of trial and error, but I think yeah. that's something that we have to try and observe and be students of our 
of our kids as we're trying to figure out, okay, how do I, how do I pull this back? How do I de-escalate the situation versus I'm in charge and you better get used to it. And, right. uh, we're, we're in for a longer, we're in for a longer situation in that case. And I think one more thing, I know I'm talking a lot, a, a lot of times we can think, man, it takes too much time. It takes too much intention to yeah. do this in a situation. I'd rather just do the, do it the way I know. And my kid can just deal. But I think what we find is what ends up being a one hour, two hour situation, I, at least in my tough season, when I look back at it. Yeah. Um, it could have been a 10 minute situation. It could have been a 15 minute situation if I'd just been wise about it. Um, so investing that energy and intention can save you so much time and energy in the long run. Yeah. And, and I'll, you know, kind of a part B of that sometimes the one or two hour, like, I don't want to do this right now is necessary to get to the 10 minute interactions as you go, right? Like setting that foundation. Um, And again, it's not uniform. It's not A plus B equals C. It's not like, all right, let me start the timer. Hey, it's been an hour. How do you feel? Like it's not, uh, it's not that, but uh, so, you know, the natural question you're, you're listening to this and you're like, okay, yep, I can resonate with this. I'm empathizing with this. Like I've been there before. And then you're like, okay, well, cool. Now we're all just aware of this. Like we all know it. So how, how can we um, tackle this? How do we do this? I think the the first thing is just building in that little gut check and that it's hard to build in that little gut check because half the time when you kind of rudely say to the kids, slam it again, the kid straightens up. So you have to remember that what you're doing is you're using shame, fear, and embarrassment in order to get that kid to comply. And, um, it, you know, I'm using air quotes works sometimes in the moment with some kids. And so if you're in a hurry and you're stressed out and you're whatever, you know, you're, you're going to fall into some of these like quick fear-based compliance tactics. And so the first thing you're going to have to do is just like, use that gut check. What do you really desire? Like what we really desire is for kids that are able to appropriately manage their emotions and conflicts and disappointments without us. Like we don't want them to always need us in the room for them to be able to, to regulate themselves. Like we don't always want that to be the case. So we've got to build it in on the front end and it's going to take time, just like Jesse was talking about on the front end. And then with that, you're going to have to like pause and take some time outside the moment to think ahead. Like if you've got the kid in your home or your class, who's having four meltdowns a day, the last thing you want to do when you finally get by yourself, like what you want to do is turn on Netflix and like scroll. But what you're going to have to do is like, think about what am I going to change for tomorrow to meet that kid? And then in that thought process, I want like, think about what are some things that I could try whenever the kid slams the door, rolls their eyes. I already kind of know the kid. I know what, what they tend to do. Yeah. How can I choose a different response? Like, how can I shift what I'm doing to match the, the response that I give to the level of that misbehavior? Well, I know we're talking more on the overcorrecting from Karen's side. Yeah. The flip side of that is the under. There are some people listening to this podcast. You've got Meltdown City happening. And what you're doing is you're consistently coming in undercorrecting and you're letting the kids spiral too far up. Yeah. So again, you probably get sick of it here and here and on the podcast, but you've got to find that middle ground balance. You have to know yourself and yeah. lean more towards where you need to lean. So 
the levels of response that trust-based relational intervention introduced have really helped us as a team think yeah. about these things. There's four levels, calming, structured, ooh, I started wrong, playful, structured, calming, protective. Yeah. So when, when Dr. Purvis is talking about this, she's saying we're jumping to these protective strategies for physical violence when we could use a playful strategy instead, use a structured strategy instead, when we could start a little bit lower. I think um, especially as you think about those first two levels, most of the behavior of our kids fall in that area. I mean, because it might be a trigger for us, we would Mm -hmm. categorize it as more important to us. Yeah. But our kids aren't, our kids aren't, you know, physically harming us in the majority of behaviors we're seeing, right? That would be level four. We don't need to come in like Becca's saying at level four. So I would say, you know, if if you've got, take that example I, I was giving earlier, you've got a little sass, a little disrespect coming your way, maybe a selfish comment, which mm-hmm. is like, might also just be age appropriate, but <laughs> um, maybe it's not even disobedient. Yeah. Something to think about, but um Anyways, let's say, you know, a kid says something sassy to me, like, I hate what you make me for lunch, you know, or whatever. Then I could be like, oh, excuse me. What is your order for tomorrow, madam? I did not realize, you know, I could pretend I'm in the restaurant or something. Not everybody's silly. So not everybody's going to playfully engage in that kind of way. But there is always a way in your own style to playfully engage a kid that doesn't escalate something. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if I come in under, like mm-hmm. Becca's saying, and I try to be silly or playful and a kiddo is a little higher than I am, you know, they're already very resistant to this idea of, that I'm presenting to them. Uh, maybe maybe they're, the lunch I made for them yesterday embarrassed them. So there's like something emotional in the, sto- in the backstory of that. And I yeah. don't realize it. I, I could end up escalating by un, by being playful, right? Mm-hmm. So I've got to figure out, I've got to attune to my kid and figure out what is going on in the situation. If I am sensing something else is going on, I'd be, you know, we would say with a, what do we say? A calming engagement mm-hmm. or no structured engagement would be more like, oh, but I didn't realize you didn't like your lunch. Would you like a sandwich or a, or a wrap tomorrow? And give them a choice, you know, it, maybe they need just a little bit more structure to help yeah. bring them off the ledge. And then that third one would be calming. I don't know if one of y'all want to address that one. Yeah. Calming engagement. Um, we've talked about on a lot of episodes, it's kind of this idea of co-regulating and how are we going to meet that kid in their dysregulation and how are we going to co-regulate with them to get them more calm, more aware, more okay. Um, takes a lot of work. It's, it's not, it doesn't, JD said it, it might take you an hour. It might take you an hour to do the calming engagement, but if you're being mindful and aware that hour is going to be you regulated, sharing your regulation with the kid. And if you're just right in the ring with them and y'all are in a boxing match, well, then that's going to be a different kind of hour and it could have a different kind of end point. And so again, it's, you know, the time investment is always a 
a question that people have, and it's true. It's going to take time to calm. It's going to take time to learn. Um, you know, I think about kids grow and change. So what worked for a kid when they were two is going to change when they're eight is going to change when they're 18. Yeah. So you're going to have to constantly be reevaluating, rethinking, retrying. It's a lot of work. It's a ton of work, but if we can be thoughtful, if we can be intentional, then we're not just reacting out of anger and frustration and just uh, you know, you can have high expectations. You can have good boundaries for kids. Yeah. You can be a safe classroom, home environment, uh, after school care coordinator. You can create safe environments with high structure, really great expectations with a lot of support for the kids who are struggling to meet those expectations. Yeah. Yeah. And I think kind of the preface that um, is implied here, but that we just want to state overtly is, you know, the best case scenario is that you, you begin to know your kids and your context well enough that you see the first spark fly. And at that point you're, you're doing a very playful redirection, hopefully before, uh, the train goes to the, you know, cartoon, like off the broken track, like don't enter and you like (laughs) crash through the the barricade and go down. So before you get to that break in the tracks, like you want to go ahead and and have that, that one playful redirect. And, um, you know, like that, that might be, and you've heard in Karen's videos before, like, whoa, cowboy, let's try that again. Or something like that. And you don't have to talk like you're from Texas to, to do that. Right. (laughs) Like you can bring it into your own context. And so sometimes, you know, we'll, one of our favorite internet videos ever is the back it up Terry video. (laughs) So our our kids think that video is hilarious. And so sometimes like somebody else will start to, we'll see the spark fly and my wife will yell, Ooh, back it up, Terry, back it up. And it'll, it'll make them giggle even in their anger a little bit. And it's like, hold on. Okay. Let's try that again. And that, and we try just minimal words, minimal action, just a quick, simple redirect. And at nine times out of 10, that serves its purpose. Crisis averted. We keep on, you know, till the next one. That 10th time, you can try a playful redirect. They're probably going off the tracks anyway. So now we're, now we're on a journey, right? So the best case scenario is catch it low. If you can't, then we go into those different levels of engagement. And, um, and, and look, we, again, as we know, kids are not equational. So we are not giving you a prescriptive, you know, map for how to, um, disarm every situation, but we do want you to be prepared for when you do, um, engage in these things. So, uh, as we begin to kind of close up here, guys, any, any last thoughts on, um, on, you know, kind of what we talked about today and and kind of like a, a message for people on their way out. Um, two things I'm thinking about. The first is, uh, guys, this is less about what you say. And I hope you're hearing us say it's mostly about how you are, how you are saying it, how you're coming across. And, and both of these guys have already talked about that, but I was thinking about it as you were talking about back it up, Terry, because the way that you said, let's try it again. It sounded playful. Did y'all catch that? I it sounded so light that I wanted to engage with that. Versus, I know a lot of parents that will say, "Well, we love to use redos. We use redos a lot." You guys, sometimes the way we do redos can be really punitive, and yeah. so I just want you to be thinking about it. Like, is the way you say, "Let's try that again," does it sound like the way JD said it, or does it, you know, like, or or does it sound like a "Let's back it up, Terry," or does it sound like a um, 
I want you to try that again. We're going to do a redo right now. You need to try that again. You know, there's right. the, the tone, volume, and cadence of how we show up in our voice, the way that our eyes look. And JD, you said big eyes. My girls will always say, mom, you have your big eyes because I have <laughs> giant eyes and they get really big when I'm upset. Yeah. And um, they will remind me like the way you're showing up in this situation is is not uh, non-threatening. And so uh, we have to, we have to be mindful of that. I'm also thinking, I just want to address those of you who are listening right now. And you're thinking my kid always comes in at a level three, I have to overcorrect because if I don't meet my kid there, then it's, it's going off the tracks. Anyways, they come into me off the tracks. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say I've been there in seasons with kiddos and it is really hard. It's a really hard place to be. And so we just want to acknowledge, like we hear you and we see you because that's a hard place to be. And there, there are times when kids will be like that. They're just oversensitized, uh, often flipping out and, and exhibiting fear responses to a lot of different things. And I just want to say, um, use those calm moments and it may be like five minutes of the day. It, it may be only five minutes y'all, yep. but if you can find just those little glimpses of calm in that kid, mm-hmm. Oh y'all connect with that kid in those moments. Mm-hmm. Just it, it is, that's your golden moment. Play with them, connect with them in those calm little tiny windows. Because I think uh, when you're able to do that, And even doing some practicing outside of the moment, which we've talked about in some other episodes as well, that's going to widen those times when, when they're more teachable and it's maybe going to de-escalate those kind of level three, um, situations down. You're, you're eventually with time and investment going to see those come down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really great thoughts, Jesse. I would just add. I think Dr. Purvis gave us permission. She gave us permission to be more creative. She gave us permission to slow down a little bit. Yeah. And she gave us permission to change our thinking. And I think a lot of us think I've got to come down hard because I have to set the boundary. That's right. Yeah. I know teachers who have been taught don't smile for the first three months of school or else they'll <laughs> run all over you the rest of the year. Um, no, right. I've worked with teachers who under responded to a lot of things yes. and it led to chaos. But I've also worked with teachers who over responded to behaviors and it led to a different kind of chaos. And so just being aware of it, just being willing to be creative. I just think Dr. Purvis gave us permission to just let ourselves off the hook and be willing to go in at the level where the kid is today Mm -hmm. in this moment, in this hour. Um, And I'm just thankful for the reminder for myself too. Yeah. That's well said. Um, I I think the thing I want us to remember is that uh, all this takes time. It just takes time. And and the only way that you get better at anything like this is repetition. So uh, don't give up. Just know that like the repetition, that investment you're making in your kids, the the connection that you are um, investing in and bidding for, there will be moments where it feels completely futile. And then you will see little little glimpses, little pictures here and there of moments of connection or growth, or you see a kid do something on their own they previously weren't able to do, and, and those moments are um, are worth it. Uh, second, oh, we can't do this without uh, a community, right? So like um, for you, that might be one 
person. You might have one safe person. It might be an online community where you found folks that you can connect with and, and have shared experiences with there. Um, it might be you, you're in a, you know, fortunate enough to be in a community where you've got lots of other people that are parenting kind of pulling the same rope and you're able to be around those families to sort of normalize this, this way of parenting for your kids. Uh, whatever that might be, uh, just know that like you, you just can't walk this road alone. You can white knuckle it as hard as you possibly can, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, all the, all the little analogies. Um, and you're just going to wear yourself into the ground. So just know that you've got to have help, uh, and eyes, uh, for you to say every now and then tap you out and say, okay, uh, why don't you go get a break? <laughs> it looks like you could use some water or a snack, um, or a three day vacation or, or, or also, <laughs> uh, you know, somebody to step in with that kid who's level-headed to say, Hey, uh, pop's going to take a break. I, I want you to you know, walk with me for a second. So just, just know you, you got to have help. You got to have people, um, in your corner with you. Um, so yeah, those are, those are, that's my advice. Um, thank you for guys for coming on and, well, um, and yeah, thanks to Dr. Purvis again Dr. for, um, Karen some Purvis more teaching for us Becca and, uh, Jesse today and just, um, hugely grateful to them recording work, stopped. Um, with ETC and just, um, continuing to give, uh, fresh content for, uh, parents and caregivers, those who are out there, um, just, trying like we are just trying right um we've got more as we said uh more unreleased karen purpose footage from uh empower to connect on the way um and so be looking for that in the next couple weeks um we will also have uh more podcast content centered around that new karen purpose content so we are super excited to be able to give that to you as well for Becky McKay, for Jesse Ferris, for the Ottingers, for Kyle Wright, who edits and engineers all of our audio, for Tad Jewett, who engineers the music behind the Empower to Connect podcast. I'm JD Wilson, and we will see you next week on the Empower to Connect podcast.